Morning Church. Ah, oof, that's more responsive than usual. Um, the text that I've picked for us this morning is Romans 14. It is a particular favorite of mine and something that I have been dwelling in and learning for, for some time now. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to go in little bits as we go, but starting in verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he'll be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Before I get into what I have to say about this, I'll give it a little context. Uh, Paul's concluded the theological bulk of his letter back in chapter 11. Chapters 12 and 13, he is calling the Roman church to unity. And now in chapter 14, he's addressing two particular issues. Uh, these issues are likely caused by some Jewish Christians returning to Rome. And they're namely uh, food laws and the observance of sacred days. Um, this could be in reference to the Sabbath or other feast ceremonial days. The text isn't clear. Uh, the Jewish Christians are who Paul is referring to when he says, accept the weak in faith, which is a pretty tough gig. Um, the first thing I want us to notice as we look at this text is not what Paul says, but what he doesn't say. And that's probably a strange way to start my first time up here, but bear with me. Uh, let's take a look. Paul, who has no doubt in his mind as to who is wrong and who is right in the Roman church, does not exhort, accuse, or rebuke those who are not eating meat and hold to the observance of sacred days. He calls them weak, which clearly shows that they are in the wrong, but he does not call them to repentance. Neither does he call the strong brethren in the Roman church to come alongside them and teach them the correct way. In fact, Paul gives no remedy at all in this early point in the text. He simply tells them not to judge one another, for they have all been received by God. So he does not call them to repentance. Rather, in the following verse, which reads, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He adds fuel to the flame of disagreement and brings us to my first point. We are called to have convictions. We are to be people of intentional action that comes from minds that have studied and been convinced in the way that they should act. We are not to be impetuous, rash, or negligent, but to be calculated and self-controlled. It is a strange thing that Paul tells the Roman church to get an opinion when he's trying to quell a division. Uh, as you're well aware, people with few strong opinions tend to get along much better than people with many strong opinions. Um, for example, I get told I have too many opinions all the time, hence why I picked this text. Let me ask you a question uh, for you to think about as we go along. If you were writing a letter to a church today with a similar problem, would you tell them to get an opinion? Or would you stop at verse 4 where they are told to receive one another? Maybe even tell them not to make such a big fuss over such a little issue. To give you a picture of the strength with which Paul is calling on the Roman church, let's take a look at these words, fully convinced. The original word is pleroforio, and it is only used one other time in Romans, and that is to describe Abraham's faith that Sarah would conceive and bear a son. Um, the strength of that faith. And that promise, that promise is also what 
Abraham's faith in that promise is what is accounted to him as righteousness. And it's the strength of that faith with what Paul calls the Roman church to have in a matter of whether they should eat or not eat. Paul, who knows that abstaining from food is not living in the fullness of God's grace, tells those people to be convinced as they possibly can be that what they're doing is right when he knows that they are wrong. That approach seems totally opposite to what we would expect. There is little correction from Paul, which I think is what we would expect. Um, But instead, at no point in this chapter is his aim to correct them. He certainly says who is wrong, but the whole aim of this um, passage is to place personal responsibility on each reader and hearer of the letter that their opinion is right. Now, knowing the strength of that statement, let's bring it into the 21st century. Our issues are not food laws or sacred days, and they haven't been for some time, except for the Seventh-day Adventists. Um, but each of us knows issues of moral neutrality which have caused disruptions in the church. Now, when I say issues of moral neutrality, I mean issues which in and of themselves are not wrong. Um, for example, eating is not an action which is wrong in and of itself, but we can see that has moral implications in gluttony, for example. Um, So some other issues from a bit closer to 2021. Is it wise for a Christian to drink alcohol? You've probably all heard that one. How much money should I spend on myself in relation to how much I give? Can I read books or watch movies which have witchcraft in them? It is likely most of you have heard at least one of these questions before, and if not, I'm sure that you can think of one that fits that mold quite easily. Now, each and every one of us will have an opinion on issues just as small Uh, as these or smaller. Um, And what Paul is saying here is that this is incredibly important. And however strong our convictions are, they probably aren't as strong as Abraham's faith that Sarah would conceive. Now, when I say strong opinions, I do not mean loud and expressive opinions, but strong opinions um, within one's own heart. Abraham's faith was placed in God's direct revelation to him that Sarah would conceive. Our direct revelation is the Bible. And it's our job to search it out and seek through it to build our own convictions. Um, That is no small task. And as we are all well aware, study of the Bible can easily lead to division rather than the unity Paul is calling us to. Let's read on from verse six. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day uh, to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Divisions come from different convictions, Um, but as we see in verses 6 through to 9, our convictions are to be our own, which is our second point. Our convictions are to be our own. In this room, there are many people who have dedicated their life to Christ for 20, 30, even 50 years, and we tend to have a progression of like the 50, the 30, and the 10 years in this church. Um, Some of you have studied the Bible formally. Um, Some of you have taught it. Others of you haven't done either. Um, But for the most part in this room, we still all agree on the fundamentals of the Christian faith. For example, I would expect that every believer in here would agree with me in saying that we are saved through grace alone and faith alone in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'd expect that all of us agree 
uh, that there's an eternal judgment waiting for every single one of us, whether that be to heaven or to hell. The list goes on. But yet not two of us will agree on everything once we go past the fundamental topics. If I asked each of you to come forward um, and to draw a circle on this wall behind me, and that circle represented what you understood or you knew about God, I can guarantee that not two of your circles would line up perfectly. Um, Some circles would undoubtedly overlap. In fact, most of them probably would. Um, Some circles might even encompass one another. Um, Yet not two of them would be identical. And that's because our God is too big. He is too infinite and there is far too much of him to be known that we could possibly think of him in an identical way to somebody else. And as what we do is the direct result of what we think, we can be sure that each of us have different convictions about how the Christian life is to be lived out. Let us again remind ourselves of the importance of our personal view in this. Paul encourages the Roman believers to maintain their convictions whether right or wrong because they are honoring to God. He does not call them to follow after himself. Um, What we have of Paul in the Bible is infallible. Therefore, we tend to think of him as an infallible person, which is not true. Neither should we follow after the popular teachers of our day, whether we think they are a trustworthy source or not. We are to develop our own convictions and follow them. This may be done with the aid of a teacher, um, of course, but is not to be a blind following. As Christians, we believe in absolute truth. And often the idea of having two totally different convictions would result in us assuming that one of them is sinful. However, Paul clearly states that those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord, and also those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God. While those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We can still fault those who abstain because they were not living in the fullness of God's grace. But we can be comforted knowing this, that the best we can do is what we know to do. Let me repeat that. The best we can do is what we know to do. In James 4.17, it says, To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. What I know to be good and what you know to be good are going to be two different things, and that's okay. Um, but this, these different convictions come with a warning. Back in Romans now, in verse 23, it says, But those who have doubts are condemned if they eat because they do not act from faith. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Here Paul is saying that if those who had the conviction that they should eat meat were with a group of people, that they shouldn't eat meat, sorry, were with a group of people who did eat meat and were comfortable with that, and they decided to eat because they didn't want to explain themselves, they didn't want to uh, look different, that is where it would become sin to them. Eating meat is no sin. But to go against one's conviction and faith is most definitely a sin. For that person to eat would be to go against their conscience. And to quote Luther, when asked to recant, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand, I can do no other. So help me God. Amen. And are we all glad that man stuck by his convictions? Paul escalates his way of saying that God can be glorified in actions which contradict each other by changing the subject from eating or not eating to living and dying. In verses 7 and 8, he writes that our lives and our deaths are to the Lord. We have no two things more opposite than death and life. In verse 9, Paul brings out the big guns in referring back to Jesus' death and resurrection for the purpose of reminding us who our Lord is. Paul does not use this opportunity to speak of Jesus as Savior, but as Lord. Lord of both living and dead. And if he can be Lord of both living and dead, 
He can certainly be Lord of eating and not eating. So again, let us bring this to application. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, then you have in doing so also acknowledged him as your Lord. He has freed you from the mastery of sin and instead he has mastery of you. And his demand of us is that we live to him and die to him. Now, in the context of this chapter, what we're talking about is not referring to you dropping everything and becoming a missionary, but is referring to honoring him through acting on your convictions in the smallest of matters. As each of us will differ on what these matters are, I won't say much to it, but think of the compromises you make with the excuse, it doesn't matter, it's not a big deal. Being obedient in small matters is not legalistic. It's our calling. After all, he who can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. So a quick recap. There are divisions in the Roman church. Uh, Paul tells them to get an opinion, a really strong one, um, because it's honoring to God and it would be sin not to. So far, Paul hasn't fixed much of the division. If he were to have stopped writing here, he would have encouraged stubbornness and resentment. Um, So let's take it as a look at his solution. We'll jump ahead a bit here to verse 14. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things by which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. This brings us to our third and final point. We are called to walk in love. We are not called to put aside our differences, but to respect and accommodate one another's convictions. And the distinction there is to put aside is to say they are irrelevant. Uh, To respect and accommodate is to say these convictions are of the utmost importance. How can we make them work together? And this final push of Paul's largely falls on the strong. A weak brother cannot accommodate his strong brother by eating meat. That would be sin to him. But a strong brother can accommodate his weaker brother by abstaining from meat, and that would be love. The pride of the strong, if he chooses not to accommodate his weaker brother and put him in a position of compromise, is the biggest danger here. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. What is worth more to us? Flaunting our Christian liberty or loving our weaker brother? Christian liberty is a wonderful thing and something that we should exercise where we can. However, Christian liberty is understood differently by each of us. What I can do within my Christian liberty is different to what you can do within yours. And if any situation, um, our freedom could compromise a fellow believer, it no longer comes our duty to exercise our freedom, but instead is an opportunity to exercise our self-sacrificing love. Paul addresses a very similar issue in 1 Corinthians 8, and he closes his argument with this statement. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Would we be a church which is characterized by denying ourselves of things rather than living in our liberty at the expense of our fellow believers? We as believers have received immeasurable grace. We are quick to receive this grace, yet we are slow to return it to our brothers and sisters. 
Paul longs that the congregation in Rome would recognize that the excellency of their doctrine is not what Christ desires. He desires that their hearts be committed to him. Just like Billy spoke about last week, he desires to be first in each of their lives. That is not to say that their doctrine is irrelevant. On the contrary, we have seen that they are to be convinced of each thing they believe. However, they are also to recognize that differences of conviction do not dishonor God, but each believer who worships from a heart of conviction rather than of conformity honors God immensely. I want to finish with a warning. We live in a time where we must be even more cautious than the strong believers in Rome. Why? Because we do not have the Apostle Paul writing directly to us to tell us where we are wrong or right. We have Gary. Or Gary, take your pick. Um, but how arrogant would it be of us to be dogmatic about our interpretations of Scripture when even Peter said that he finds Paul's writing hard to understand? Again, Peter the Apostle, not Peter's son. The return of Christ and what or how spiritual gifts function in the church or some other evangelical debate you might think is clear as day. But in reality, given that there are so many examples of godly people over the centuries of the church that have disagreed about such things, let us not be dogmatic. Rather, let us be a people who are humble enough to acknowledge that none of us will get to heaven and be told we had the perfect view on every issue. That is not to say do not be convinced of your view. I encourage you to be as convinced as you can be. However, what I also encourage you to do is recognizing that being dogmatic on issues which are not essentials is essentially unhelpful. I want to ask three questions as I close. In what things are you the strong brother? And are you willing to give them up for your weak brother? Secondly, um, consider the possibility that maybe, just maybe, you're the weaker brother in some respects. What are they? And lastly, are you convinced in the way that you should act? Do you prayerfully seek out God's guidance in how you live your life, or do you do anything less than that? Let me pray. Dear Lord, uh, we thank you for your word, and uh, we thank you for the gift that it is to us, and we thank you for the guidance we can find in it for our lives. Um, I pray for us as a church, Lord, would we be characterized by people who seek you in it, and act upon our conviction, Lord. I ask for whatever I've said today, Lord, that what is of you would remain, and whatever is not would fall away, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.